It is time once again for Radio Free Acton. After a bit of a hiatus, we are back on the Acton Institute podcast here on www.acton.org. My name is Mark Vandermoss, and it is a pleasure once again to welcome you as we bring some moral and theological reflection to bear on the big issues of our time. And, uh, well, there's not much of a bigger issue right now than health care reform in Congress and in the executive branch out in Washington, D.C. It is the talk of the town. And uh, we want to bring a little bit of a different perspective, perhaps, than you've heard. And we have done so uh, today by bringing in a couple of experts who we think will really edify your thinking on the issue. And let's get right down to it. Uh, Dr. Donald P. Condit is sitting across the table from me. He is a medical doctor, an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hand surgery right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, home base for the Acton Institute. He graduated from the University of Notre Dame and then went on to attend the University of Michigan Medical School. He also has an MBA. He received that from the Seidman School of Business at Grand Valley State University. His emphasis of study there was economics and the ethical allocation of scarce healthcare resources. He's a good man to be talking to right now. Dr. Condit is also a clinical associate professor. Dr. Condit is also a clinical associate professor of surgery at Michigan State University. And Dr. Condit, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here. And we are joined on the phone today by Dr. Kevin Schmeising. He is a research fellow here at the Acton Institute, part of our research department. He is the book review editor for our Journal of Markets and Morality. And also, he is the executive director of CatholicHistory.net. Dr. Schmeising, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure, Mark and Don. Good to be with you. Well, now that we're all together, let's uh, talk a little bit about health care reform. And I'm going to turn to you, Dr. Condit, uh, as we start. The, the question I think a lot of people have with our health care system here in the United States is, well, we're the only industrialized nation in the world, really, that doesn't have uh, a government-controlled health care system. And so the question is, how in the world did we end up with this sort of hybrid system where you have private insurance and you have a lot of government involvement and it seems uh, that the costs are rising like crazy. How, how did we get here in the first place? Well, it's interesting, Mark. If we, if we look back at, at the past 60 years, uh, we, we, we've made a transition from uh, a, a period of time when, when patients and families paid for a lot of their health care out of pocket to the point now where approximately 85% plus of health care is, is paid for by a third party. And along with that, that payment has been, uh, I think, the perception of who is responsible for, for, for health care. And uh, it, 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 I guess it's, this has kind of evolved in the United States over the last 60 years or so. And a lot of this began really uh, in terms of third-party health care responsibility began uh, after the World War II. Uh, and at the time, uh, wage and price controls uh, were placed to control inflation. Uh, and and uh, employers who were competing for scarce workers uh, uh, began to offer benefits in order to lure those uh, workers when they were uh, stuck with uh, with uh, wage uh, wage controls. They they couldn't pay people more, so they had to find other ways to attract these scarce workers uh, in in the mid 40s and, and thereafter. And they began to offer uh, health care benefits, and and those health care benefits uh, were uh, both. Uh, tax-free for the worker and, and tax-free for the employer, and, and, uh, and that became uh, enshrined, if you will, or written in stone in, in subsequent uh, 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 tax, tax laws. And, and then in the mid-60s, uh, uh, under President Johnson, uh, uh, Medicare and subsequently Medicaid began, and, and that's where the government became, began to play more and more of a role in, in health care. And, and so what you've seen then in the 40s with the, the employers, uh, uh, providing benefits to the, to the workers and, and their families, and then uh, in, in the 60s uh, with the, the folks that were uh, over, you know, retired, 
uh, and, and also the folks who are sick and disabled uh, and, and, and children through, through Medicaid, uh, we've kind of made a, a transition then from uh, uh, where it's more of a two-party doctor-patient relationship to, to another point now where we have really 85% uh, of healthcare, there's a third party involved in payment, and many times the perception of responsibility for healthcare, uh, approximately 85% right now. So I think that's in a, in a nutshell kind of how we made this transition from a more of a two-party system to a three-party system. There, there seem to be some obvious problems with a system like that economically. I, I guess the, the question I'd ask you is, what, how does this does the system work right now for patient care? Are doctors satisfied with the way the system works? Are patients satisfied with the way the system works? What sort of problems does, this, does the current system pose? No, there's really a, a lot of lot of dissatisfaction, uh, and, and we hear frequently about 46, 47 million uh, 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 folks within the borders of the United States that don't have in health insurance, and along with a lack of health insurance uh, it goes a lack of access to, to health care, uh, and there's a, a third of the people who have insurance but are worried about losing it. Uh, and so it's it's a very critical uh, critical time right now. But uh, a lot of the attention has been very appropriately uh, addressed to these 47 million. But there's there's also concerns about you know Medicare going broke in 10 years. The Medicare trust fund is going to be insolvent. Uh, and and if you start looking at the graphs of uh, medical spending over time uh, and, and how much of our gross uh, national product that that involves. Uh, you can see that we're facing a real crisis in 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 in, uh, uh, in spending of healthcare. I'm going to turn to you, uh, Dr. Kevin Schmiesing, on the phone uh, to talk about the economic problems with the current system. And I think everybody's aware of the increases that we've had in the cost of healthcare, uh, increases in both cost of of hospital care, prescription drugs. Everything seems to be going up. And the the obvious thing is that it's going up at unsustainable rates. What's causing that? Right. Well, Don put his finger on the central problem here when he first started by talking about third-party payers. And, and the problem in the United States is that uh, we have predominantly a third-party payer system. That is, he mentioned 85, 86 percent of health care is not paid for, at least not paid for directly, by the people who are receiving the care. And if you, took, uh, if you just took you know, the issue of health care specifically out of the picture, and you just went to any economist and you said, what will happen when you remove, when you disconnect uh, the consumer, in this case the patient, from the person actually paying the bill? What will happen? And he would, he would say, what you'll get is rising costs, you'll get declines in quality, you'll get inefficiency, you'll get restriction of options, a, uh, a limiting you know, on the options available for purchase, all of those sorts of things. These, these are, these are uh, natural consequences when you have this kind of separation uh, because the whole incentive structure becomes misaligned on the part of the consumers and on the part of the producers, those supplying the good in question. And so, of course, obviously all of those phenomena I just mentioned uh, are, are evident in spades in, in the medical system in the United States right now. So it's, it, it's simply a natural consequence of the way the system is structured. And uh, any, any kind of effort at reform is going to have many different pieces to it. Um, but, but I think we should keep our focus on the central issue, and that is we have to deal with the problem of it being predominantly a third-party uh, payer system we have to move away from. And in order to make progress here, we have to move away from uh, the third-party payer concentration and, and reconnect. Uh, reconnect the consumer, again, in this, in this case the patient, reconnect the patient uh, with the person responsible for actually paying the bills. Kevin, I think one of the things that 
the supporters of more government intervention into healthcare, the, the supporters of the current proposal will keep going back to is the idea that healthcare is such a complex issue that it can't be left to something as mysterious or chancy, so to speak, as the free market, that we really need to deliberately go in and thoughtfully reconstruct our healthcare system from the bottom up and find those cost savings and do all that stuff because we can't leave something as important as people's healthcare to the free market. Um, what I'm hearing you saying is that, no, in fact, one of the problems that we have right now is that the free market simply isn't allowed to operate like it normally would in almost any other circumstance. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And in fact, this is, I mean, the, the, the point you make uh, or the example you bring up of people, you know, arguing that, well, the system is too complicated, therefore we need further government involvement. You know, it, it shows what we're up against when, when we're trying to reform health care in, uh, in what I think might be an effective, uh, beneficial fashion. Uh, it's really a complete inversion of the way we should be looking at this, and that is the more complicated the sector of the economy, and healthcare is certainly a complex sector, the more complicated it is, the more need we have for a freer operation of the market. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, in any complicated economic system, uh, the, uh, the price system, the signal that prices send uh, to consumers, to producers, to everybody involved in the transaction, uh, those signals are absolutely essential. And the more complicated it is, the more essential those price signals are. And the more government intervention, the more regulation, the more restriction on the operation of those price signals, uh, the less likely it is that we're going to have a happy meeting of supply and demand. Uh, specifically with health care, that means you know, that there will be adequate health care there for people um, at, uh, at what is an economical, at, at what is an economically feasible um, level of payment. Well, let's talk about some of the solutions that are being proposed right now in Washington. The big talk this week, and, and, and frankly over the past month or so in Washington, has, has been with uh, President Obama's desire to see a, a health care reform package passed. The House Democrats in Washington introduced a package a couple weeks ago, I believe, uh, that included uh, a number of things. One of the, the big things that it included was a public option for coverage. Um, and there's there's been a lot of talk about this proposal and, uh, frankly, a lot of pulling back from it uh, in the past week or so by the Democrats and, and uh, some of the other folks in Washington. The question, I, I guess, is, um, and, and I'm going to turn to Dr. Condit for this, can you give us a sort of a thumbnail sketch of, of what the, the general proposal is in Washington? What are the ideas that are being bandied about, and uh, how are those supposed to fix the system? Well, well Mark, you know, there's, there's a, lot, a lot being you know, thrown around out there, if you will, in Washington, D.C., and you have you know, several different committees on the House side and on the Senate side. You have the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, you have a group of Republicans, a bicameral group that offered the Patients' uh, Choices Act, um, uh, that were really uh, uh, kind of that, that I think very meaningful uh, act has, has been overshadowed by by the majority of the, the Democratic plans on, on both sides. So there's just a lot of a lot of different uh, uh, suggestions out there on the table. But it's pretty clear that the the the, the, the you know the executive branch is, is behind a lot of this, and, and uh, they're arguing strongly for uh, for for universal coverage, covering everyone, which sounds like a wonderful idea. Uh, but and also a, a public option, which which means uh, more more government responsibility for health care. 
uh, and, and there's a real argument that it, it concern that it, it, if there's a public option that's going to quickly uh, uh, kind of undercut a lot of the competition that's out there right now. Uh, and, and, what, and people all of a sudden are starting to realize uh, the, these numbers just don't add up. Uh, to try to cover uh, 47 million more Americans and continue with uh, uh, you know, the, the, um, the current uh, spending pattern is, is unsustainable. And, and Americans are starting to realize that the, the government has not done a very good job with the 50% of health care it's already been responsible for. The Medicare trust fund is, is going insolvent. Uh, and, and for the president to promise uh, last week that uh, he wasn't going to reduce Medicare benefits, uh, it, it just doesn't all add up. And, and so a lot of people are very concerned when they start to go to the Congressional Budget Office and, and run the numbers. Uh, the math is not adding up. And, 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 and uh, as the, the representatives come back on break, I think they're going to realize from, from a lot of their constituents uh, in this August that uh, people are really concerned about this uh, spending pattern. One of the things that keeps coming up with, with folks who support government reform of healthcare care in a larger government role in health care is that we need to have universal coverage. Uh, health care should be a right. Everyone should should be covered. No one should go without whatever they need. And that's a that's a good argument. It sounds good. The question that comes up, though, at a deeper level, are, are there pitfalls to having the government handle this that that perhaps we're not thinking about uh, as this debate goes on? Uh, Dr. Schmeising, I'm going to throw it to you first. Yeah, let me clarify first of all. I'm sure Don agrees with me on this. Uh, we're in favor of universal health care as long as we uh, define that term, pro- term properly. Obviously, as Christians, as simply as people of goodwill, um, as American citizens, we're concerned that everybody in America have access to adequate health care. Um, uh, I do believe this is something that, that all people deserve uh, by by virtue of their being, you know, of their being human beings and, and deserving of the dignity that uh, goes with uh, being a human person. So uh, we're in favor of of, of extending health care as widely as possible, of, of ensuring that all people have access to basic health care. The question then is how do we go about that? And the problem is that a lot of people, as soon as you uh, bring up the term universal health care, a lot of people think that means government provision of health care or government uh, uh, control of the health care sector so that all people have access to health care. And, and that's uh, an identification that, that we don't necessarily need to make. And that, that's precisely our point, is that health care can be more adequately, can be more efficiently, more effectively extended to uh, as large a number of people as possible at a level of quality as high as possible if we go about reform in other ways. Um, and, and an additional point to make, uh, which you uh, sort of imply in the question, is that there are, in fact, other, uh, this concern with, uh, with extending health care to as many people as possible uh, isn't the only moral consideration to make as we consider health care reform and as we consider the government's role in it. Uh, one of the major problems uh, that you get with government control of the health care sector is uh, one that you get any time you move to a unitary system. By that I mean that, that you have one particular entity in control of the system, and that is that you have a restriction of options, and this includes uh, options having to do uh, with individual conscience, with religious concerns. Uh, if you consider uh, what is for, for many people, uh, Christians certainly, uh, many uh, people of faith uh, besides Christians and others of goodwill, uh, you know, uh, what are morally objectionable practices like abortion uh, that appear to be 
uh, appear to be uh, in the offing that these will be covered, uh, you know, by a, by a sort of system of government health care. Um, <clears throat> we need to make sure, no matter what sort of reform we have going forward, uh, that the possibility for, for pluralism in the United States, for, for a genuine diversity that has been a, a pride of our nation, a pride of our health care system, uh, that, that people uh, of religious faith, uh, of moral conviction, can, can not only uh, receive the health care that they desire in the way that desire, but also that, that people of faith who, who uh, are, are medical professionals can actually practice medicine in a way that is consistent with their faith. Uh, and, and when the government uh, maintains, uh, obtains control uh, of the health care sector, uh, that sort of diversity is very much in danger. Dr. Condit, what, what, what do you see uh, with the idea of, of the government taking over more of the health care system? How does that sound to you? Well, Mark, I think, I think Christians and, and all people of goodwill should, should uh, be very, very concerned about proposals to increase uh, government responsibility for health care. We all agree, as Kevin said, uh, about uh, uh, obtaining health care for, for, for all Americans. Uh, but how to do that is something we can disagree on. And, and the fact is that uh, this administration has, has failed uh, to, to defend uh, the, the, the dignity of, of human life at its most vulnerable stages, and there's no reason to think that they're going to do, do any better in the future. And we've seen that with the reversal of Mexico City policy, where our tax dollars are going to fund overseas abortions. We've seen how this administration has failed uh, to, to defend uh, human life at the most vulnerable stages, at embryonic stage, with uh, unrestricted stem cell research. Uh, we've seen this uh, a threat in, 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 uh, in, in euthanasia and at, at the ter terminal ends of life, where we heard references to in, in, in an ABC uh, 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 interview with the president about uh, pills rather than treatment for those in elderly stages of life and that sort of thing. So uh, obviously our, our, our administration has, has failed to defend the human dignity, despite the you know words to the contrary. That's been the walk they've walked, and, and people should be very terrified about that. And, and the way we're going to see this, uh, frankly, is, is with mandates that will be uh, uh, in, include uh, abortion, and, and they're going to use this. They're going to use language about uh, reproductive services and so on, but it's going to be uh, uh, spe specifically about abortion and using taxpayer money for abortion, or it's going to be uh, threats to conscience protection in the parts of uh, you know Christian healthcare systems and so on. Or furthermore, they're going to talk about a quality-adjusted life years, and they're really talking about the euthanasia. So people need to be very, very concerned about this across the spectrum of, of, of human life. Uh, based on the track record and, and these threats that are they're very, very real. Dr. Condit, thank you so much for joining us today to shed some light on this issue. Dr. Donald Condit is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hand surgery here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's also a clinical associate professor of surgery at Michigan State University. On the phone, Dr. Kevin Schmeising, thank you so much for joining us as well. Dr. Schmeising is a research fellow here at the Acton Institute. You can check out our healthcare resources by going to our website at www.acton.org and clicking on the healthcare page link right there on the front page of our website. Of course, this has been part one of a two-part podcast series on healthcare reform. Uh, we've talked a lot today about some of the problems with our current healthcare system and some of the deficiencies of the proposed reform measures that are under consideration now in Washington. What we're going to do next time is move on to some alternative solutions that will be more economically feasible, and we believe will also cover more people in the long run better than any of the solutions that are under consideration today. Be sure to join us for that. Keep listening to uh, Radio Free Acton right here on the Acton Institute podcast. www.acton.org is our website address if you want to find out more about the Acton Institute. My name is Mark Vandermoss. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>